Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of the County Corner Podcast. On this week's episode, Stephen and I will be looking back at Ross County's 3-0 defeat against Celtic. We'll be previewing two very big games coming up this weekend. First of all, we'll be looking ahead to the trip down to Perth to take on St Johnston. And we'll be looking ahead to the North of Scotland Cup final this weekend where Ross County's under-18s take on Nairn County at Grand Street. We'll be hearing from Malky Mackay, Carl Tremarco and Conor Randall ahead of the two big games this weekend. We'll be continuing with the Hall of Fame and we'll be asking you, the listeners, for your two nominations for the central midfield spots. And we'll be asking a very, very important question at the end of the podcast. So stick around for that and see what answers you can come up with. So let's get into it. Right, we're back on the podcast once again this week and thankfully there's not going to be any VAR checks for who's going to be appearing on the podcast as there's no debate about it. We've got Stephen back on once again. Yeah, uh, VAR, my favourite subject of the week at the moment. After the, Though it's quite ironic that in uh, a week where Celtic got a, uh, a player sent off in uh, the European competition last night and we're complaining about, you know, it was unlucky that he got sent off that the, the irony is they were quite happy for us to have the same fate on, on Saturday and that. So I suppose they do say things balance themselves out over time. Obviously it did last night. Yeah, thankfully, obviously, during this week, we've not had as many VAR checks as uh, the Tottenham-Chelsea game did on Monday night. That <laughs> yes, that's true. Ridiculous. That's true. I think, you know, we're talking about us being hard done by, whereas that was just, watching that game was a different level of, of checks. <laughs> My goodness me. So, um, anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We are here to talk about Ross County. So, uh, we'll jump into talking about what happened this past Saturday lunchtime. In the game against Celtic, it finished in a 3-0 defeat. Now, we were all optimistic going into the game. And, you know, we, we, obviously we had to have luck on our side that you come up against a Celtic side that are having an off day. They might have made a few changes, might be a, a bit rusty in certain positions. And unfortunately, after 10 minutes, that luck very quickly disappeared where James Brown gave away a foul on the edge of the box. Originally, David Monroe awarded him a yellow card but after an intervention from VAR uh, he called Monroe over to the screen who reviewed his decision came back onto the pitch and decided to overturn the original decision and gave give James Brown a red card I think um, well referees corner had a quiet week last week and might have a bit of a busier time this week but in terms of a a red card tackle I think in modern day football I think it's it's always kind of you're always going to get given a red card for that, especially when there is VAR in the background. I think Brown's unlucky because Yang kind of comes in from his blind side and doesn't see him necessarily yeah. come in his stretch to try and win the ball. Yang's just got there first, and then obviously the point of contact on the ankle. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't look great. Um, you know, there's no malice or intent behind the tackle. It's just. It's just unlucky. You know. Um, yeah. And and yeah, it's kind of difficult to to argue against that one. So yeah, I was uh, right behind the incident when it happened and I was raging. A yellow card was, was given at that point in time because the angle we had at it, we just thought it was just a, a challenge and the, the fairness, we thought Jan had taken a bit of a tumble with it. Um, yes, when you see it back um, on the VAR, yes, it doesn't look great, but a lot of these things don't look great when they're slowed down. Um, my only grievance about the whole thing was there was a comment attributed to the referee when he was asked about it where he said the reason he changed it from a yellow to red is he didn't see the incident. Well, that's a strange one if that's the case. Um, 
if he's given a yellow card because he must have seen the foul in. Um, and the angle the referee was at, he was right up the play looking directly at it. So it's a bit of a, it feels like now the, re- the game's getting re-refereed now, which is a frustration. But when you look back at it, we've seen other ones, exactly the same thing happen. So, you, you know, you can't really argue your case on that one. If that's the standard, that's the standard. But as you said, it was a bit, for me, more reckless than malicious intent. And I wish they would just have a look at that. Finished the boy, Yanni, played on the rest of the game. Do you know what I mean? He wasn't badly injured. Um, as I said, when he's caught him, yes, it's a nasty catch. But for me, it's, you know, I suppose it's one of these things that, you know, you're talking about an amber card as opposed to yellow or red. It's at that category where it probably could have gone either way. But because of the intervention, you pretty much knew at that point we were down to 10 men, which is frustrating, especially for the team. You've, you know, as you said, Ross, we went into the game with optimism that we might get something, especially when you saw the, the lineup with Keogh going that not playing, you're thinking like, well, obviously they're, I wouldn't say Celtic are taking anyone lightly, but they rotated the team and it's not their probably strongest 11. So any slip by them and we've got a better opportunity of getting into the game. Um, but unfortunately, pretty much all chance of getting anything out of the game went in, in that one decision, which then you know you've got 80 minutes of, of backs to the wall. Yeah, I think it's when tackles are deemed as rec- reckless. That's when a yellow card is uh, mm. deemed uh, sufficient punishment if I can speak properly and then it's when a player is deemed to be endangering an opponent in a tackle is when a referee will probably be asked to to review a decision if he's been given it originally been given a yellow card and then yeah. to kind of upgrade it to a red which you know you can understand when you watch the tackle back why the referee has viewed it as he is endangering yeah. an opponent because you look at the way the ankle buckles on, under Yang you can you can understand that but as I said you know and as we've said there, there's no malicious intent behind it it's just yeah, it's just unfortunate that he's come from a blind side just got across Brown and managed to tow the ball away while Brown is already stretching so um, yeah big loss big loss in that game but he's obviously going to be a big loss in the next two games as well obviously this coming Saturday against St Johnston and then in two weeks' time at home to Kilmarnock as well, um, missing someone who has really impressed this season with his energy down the right-hand side is, is going to be a big blow. So you'd imagine there might be a bit of a reshuffle there with Conor Randall going back into yeah. to right-back where he spent you know, the vast majority of his time at the club and then yeah. uh, someone coming into the middle of the park, perhaps Scott High or Victor Latouri maybe moving back yeah. again. But oh, that's that's for our preview in a little while. So, um, yeah. And is that because he's is that the, the two games because of the, the categorization of the instant Ross, or is it because he's already accumulated other yellow cards that's maybe taken over the threshold? No, uh two uh, sorry, two matches because of the um the serious foul play, which is it's deemed right, as, okay. as a straight red. So um a St. Johnson player, um Costello, I think in their last game had a straight red, so he missed their first match the other night against Motherwell and then he'll be missing the second match as part of that suspension on Saturday when we go down to Perth as well. So the disciplinary panel, which, you know, seems to be very quiet nowadays because of uh, the introduction of VAR and whatnot, they can review decisions and if they deem it worthy, it can be then upgraded to three games rather than just the two. But um, I'm sure we would have probably heard about it by now had that been the case. But yeah, anyway, moving on. Another bit of a controversial moment in the game is when Celtic thought they'd open the scoring, but the goal was ruled out due to a VAR decision when uh, Dyson Maeda was ruled to be offside in the build-up when the ball was played over the top of George Harmon. Maeda ran through and squared it into the into the six-yard box for O to tap it in. 
Now, I think I'm correct in saying that is the second factual, I'll use quotation marks, decision mm-hmm. uh, via VAR that has actually gone in county's favour since its introduction back in, what was it, last November, wasn't it? It was October, yeah. November. Um, so the only other one where the decision has been deemed factual, such as an offside uh, call, was at Almondvale when... Simon Murray scored in the 2-1 game there when it was 2-0 and we scored with about 15-20 minutes to go. The linesman originally gave Brophy as offside on the park, but thanks to mm-hmm. the VAR check, it was deemed that he was onside. So it's just decisions like that that are deemed as as factual. So um, yeah. we've had a, a few times where goals have maybe been uh, disallowed on the park and VAR has backed it up. Yeah. Um, or, you know, I think another one against Livingston was the Jordan White header uh, back yeah. in January where Ross Callahan was deemed to be offside in that build up there so you know we've had a, a few kind of go against us but it's quite surprising that that's you know and the, the kind of law of averages that's only the second one that's kind of gone for us in that sense but you know thankfully it did Yeah and it was strange as well because there was an earlier one in the game at the very start where obviously the, the referee had given a foul but there was a long VAR look at it regarding the, the push itself Um and I was right behind it. And I'm, I'm actually surprised, you know, the media and that have really sort of jumped on it saying it was a poor decision, the goal should have stood. But I was right behind it. And obviously Jordan got pinned. He couldn't move and he got pushed in the back. So I felt it was a, a correct decision. Um, what I was surprised at the offside is it felt when made, you know, the ball was played through, it felt like he was really far the offside. Now, when you see it up close, it was a lot closer than you think. But I'm surprised normally the referees will wait and then once the ball's in the net, put the flag up for offside. The linesman went straight back to the halfway line. That sort of concerned me because I was thinking, well, it definitely looks like it's debatable. And obviously that, that proved the case. So again, you're just feeling a wee bit of a sense of injustice at that point that, you've okay, you've had one decision go for you, but the referee had already blown for a foul and VAR was just confirming that he was correct, which the ref was, I felt, in that decision. The sending off was a tough one to take, but in hindsight, when you look at it, you can understand why he's seen the red card. Um, but on that one, it was just felt like it was so... It, it, it felt offside to me anyway when the ball was, was played through and he was running um, it was just a bit of a worry you're thinking nothing's really going to go for us again today at this point in time it's a tricky one because at the time I actually thought Maida was onside because of how quick he is over the space of like 5-10 yards he will beat near enough any defender for pace and and that's yeah. what I thought had happened I thought he had timed his run and it was going to be a goal given because as he said the way the luck was going there um, yeah it felt like it was going to be 1-0 and then it going to be a very yeah. long day so thankfully that we had a bit of luck go our way after the, the earlier decision yeah. with the red card it's interesting you mentioned the, the dislike goal right at the start of the game because I felt like it was a bit similar to Rangers had a goal ruled out in an old firm game at Celtic Park where Morelos was deemed to have pushed the Celtic defender in the back as the corners come across Yeah, he's tapped it in and then uh, the referees awarded a foul on the pitch and there was a big uh, debate as to why VAR didn't get involved at that moment because they th- thought it was a clear and obvious error but I-, I think it kind of falls into the same category as that decision where I don't think it's clear and obvious enough for VAR to ask the referee to come and have a look at it I think it's yeah. one of those great ones regardless of what the decision was on the park I think the referee would have probably been told just to stick with that rather than yeah. be called across to 
to review it. So um, those ones can sometimes go for you. Had David Monroe awarded the goal in the first, what, five, mm-hmm. ten minutes of that game, then, you know, it would have just been, it, it would have been a goal. I don't think it would have been disallowed. So, um, yeah, a couple of bits of luck there after the, the red card one, but the luck ran out in the 51st minute of the first half. Just put a little bit of emphasis on that. Uh, when David Turnbull opened the scoring with a yeah. shot from the edge of the box, um, it was really unfortunate not to get into half time at nil nil just because of the work that the players put in was nothing short of absolutely phenomenal. You know, to to be put your backs against the wall like that against the best team in the league and put the shift in that the, the boys did. You thought you just you just felt for them at that moment when yeah. that goal was in because okay, Celtic had chances throughout that half, but you know, Ross Leila had a fantastic game over the, the entire piece and we'll We've got a bit to talk about him uh, later on in the podcast as well. But, you know, to to narrow the spaces for Celtic, to, you know, really kind of restrict them to shots from the edge of the box or um, there was a, a few times that when Liam Scales was in possession on the kind of the left-hand kind of final third of the box, if he was stepping in, um, he was looking for that kind of clip diagonal pass over the top of Ryan Leake to or I think it was Bernardo that uh, Ross Leilon made a really uh, close range save from. Did it a couple of times in the second half as well. They were trying to recycle that and obviously pinpointed a bit of a weakness there. But, you know, all the work the boys put in to to have the, just the luck not go their way and then, you know, to play on for an extra six minutes, which I think the length of stoppage time added on was a little bit debatable. Um, and then you could see the goal literally with, I don't know if it was the officially the last kick of the half when Simon Murray took the centre kick and had a had a shot at goal or <laughs> if it was the second last but yeah it just felt tough going well it was interesting I came home after that because I saw the players reactions and they were reacting as if the ref had said something to them already that you know the time was nearly up um, and we've been here before with Celtic in the game where they won in the you know was it the seventh minute of injury time where the clock had overrun and it was past the time and I went and watched the added on time so it started to bang on the 45 minutes and there was no time wasting there was nothing done in that time that you could say was that you know anyone there was no physios on or anything at all and when it's who is it now that scored for them it was Turnbull wasn't it he's it was, running across yeah. the park when he starts to run across the park that's at the six minutes done so it's well in advance of him shooting he's then coming across the park and he's let it go the referee so I just don't understand. It felt like we're going to let it play out until the ball's out of play or we're going to let them shoot. And that's not correct. Half time's half time. I've seen times before where if someone's taking a corner and it falls at half time, the ref will blow his whistle and not allow it to be taken. So that was really frustrating because it was past the time. And I know, again, it's subjective, but I watched that, that six minutes and there was nothing in there that would added time on. Do you know what I mean? Everything like... Even the goal kicks were taken in time by County and that and stuff. So there's no reason for it to be stopped. So you could see the players' reaction. I noticed Simon Murray was having a right go at the referees just coming off about it. And I think obviously something must have indicated to them that they, the time was up. Um, so that was really frustrating because I think at that point, if we've gone in at nil-nil, you're getting your breather and you've got you go again for 45 minutes. And I'm not saying we would have held out. You know, the, the, the second half showed that for us. But what a difference it makes for the players if you keep going and you know you're counting down the clock and if you keep in there and keep in there and in fairness to the lads I thought that was one of our best performances this season and I know from a point of view attacking wise it was negligible because we just couldn't get out 
But the point of view of players throwing their bodies on the line, working hard, I couldn't fault any player on that team. I couldn't. Do you know what I mean? Everyone did everything they could do to try and nullify Celtic and, and keep the score down. You know, we say, you normally, I normally say before the games, if you're going to lose to the old firm, don't lose by more than two goals. Well, we only lost by three. And in fairness, the second goal didn't come to the 80th minute. And by that point, the legs were shot and you can hardly blame the players. You know, they run their backsides off against, you know, um, a team that's got an extra player and obviously top of the league and, and, and you know, we know their strengths and that, how they can stretch teams as well. So, um, yeah, just really frustrating that that was allowed to go by the referee and I just thought that was, you know, again, I didn't see the hoo-ha about that decision. It just felt like very much they were picking up on some of the other stuff about Celtic's disallowed goal and all this. So, I think fair's fair on that one. I think it was, you know, debatable why that was allowed to, to carry on past the six minutes um, and it was to their advantage. But again, I thought second half, the lads did, you know, I, they must have been knackered at the end of the game. Do you know what I mean? These boys, because what we forget as well, they've played Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, and then they're playing Saturday and they're going into a game where they've got 10 men for 80 minutes or yep. plus, as we found out, and you know, with the, the referee and that and stuff as well. So I can't fault the lads. I thought it was one of our best team performances working together. And it's just unfortunate. You know, even before the game, if we'd lost the game 2-0, you'd have probably taken that as a result because you're not conceding too many goals. You can account for the third goal just because you're down to 10 men. So all in all, still a really good team performance that was obviously really just, you know, leveraged against us by the, the sending off. Yeah, absolutely. I know the, the phrase is a minimum of such and such additional time. You know, so I can understand why if Celtic were potentially in a dangerous area of the park when they were in possession, like sort of in the county box when the clock hit 51 minutes that, you know, play was going on. But as the clock has hit 51 minutes, it's Liam Scales in possession at the edge of the county's final third, which yeah. to me, you know, I think in the majority of games you would probably see the halftime whistle blown there. It has only just taken a, a bit of brilliance from Turnbull to step away from Danda and fire the low shot in. It's it's just one of those ones that was really frustrating. I felt for the guys, but as you said there, then the second half, you know, the effort that they put in, um, Malky spoke about it at full time, you know, when Celtic get into their groove, they can really, really hurt teams. And there's never the, you know, it's never a free hit against either one of the old firm because you just no. have to look past, you know, past uh, matches against some of the teams that have come up against the old firm. You know, you look at Dundee United getting beat 9-0 and the psychological yeah. effect that can then have, you know, going forward and things. So, again, it's for for it to only be 3-0 when you're playing 18 yeah. minutes with 10 men. I think even the, the post-match reactions from some of the fans on, like, social media actually was pretty telling because, you know, if you're coming away with a 3-0 a defeat, you can kind of, you sometimes see the, the negative reactions on there. But, you know, I actually didn't see any for the effort that the guys put in because they, yeah. you know you had to sympathise with them because as you said the legs must have been absolutely gone with the schedule that they've yeah. had the 10 days prior to that to then going into that match and, and putting in the effort they did you know you can just it's, it's nothing short of you know absolutely commendable to them yeah and in theory that's just played 11 games now which technically yeah. would be we've played all the teams once but obviously we haven't played St Mirren because of the game that was cancelled with the weather so substitute that with Celtic, which means out of those 11 games, three of them have been against the old firm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So more than 25, 25% of the games have been against the old firm, but other teams won't have that. Do you know what I mean? Some of them haven't played that. You know, we're, we're ahead 
of playing the old firm. So it was always going to be hard for us. So I think the fans were fair and realistic and measured in any feedback after the game on social media. I think everyone understood yeah. not just the, the the challenge of Celtic, but again, it's you know how the frequency we've played these teams. We, you know, our first game of the season was against Celtic, so we're playing them earlier than everyone else would be in their rotations. So we have to take that into account. So sometimes your league your league position will that will sort of tell on it. Do you know what I mean? Um, if you look at it before we played Celtic, we were out what ninth or something, wasn't it? After the the Hibs game and that and stuff. So that's probably more realistic to where we you know roughly would be right now based on what we've done. Um, so I think, as I said, once we've got to the 22 games where we've played each team home and away and it's all balanced out, I think they'll get a much truer picture. Um, but I think fans were, were fair enough. And I think it was it was positive to see the fans saying that, you know, like, well done, lads, hard lines, you know, you've worked really hard. Because sometimes as a, a football fan base, that's what you ask for as your team. You can you can accept defeat when you've given it their all. And I don't think anyone could say that the players didn't give it all. And no offence, but the three set of goals that undid us, they were all worldies in some shape or form. Or, you know, the last one was a really good team goal. But, you know, you know, Turnbull will hit a better one than that. You know, and it was right in the bottom corner where Laidlaw couldn't get to it. And, you know, and, and obviously we're talking about Laidlaw's performance. Um, but also in the second one was an absolute, you know, just smash of a hit. Like, do you mean the boys just absolutely put his laces through and it flew past Laidlaw and he had no chance. So, you know, it, it took something special for Celtic to unpick us as well. So credit to the lads on that. On Ross Laidlaw, it feels like a good segue this. 13 saves he made during the match, which he deservedly picked up the Man of the Match awards for. You know, I don't yeah. think anyone in the in the crowd would have disagreed with that. Um, even some of the, you know, the broadcasting stations, they awarded Ross the Man of the Match, despite being on the losing side. Now, there's been a bit of debate today because the Scotland squad was announced at, uh, at the time of recording. It's Wednesday evening. So Scotland squad was announced today with both Craig Gordon and Angus Gunn still out injured, so they weren't called up. The three goalkeepers that were called up were Xander Clark and Liam Kelly, who had been regulars in the, the Scotland squads over the last 12 months or so because yeah. of uh, Gordon's injury. And then the third choice keeper was Ross McCrory from Rangers. Now, um, obviously, McCrory's had a number of games with the Scotland under-21s. He's also been part of Scotland squads in the past before. But there's been a bit of debate about it because McCrory is yet to play a competitive game this season. His yeah. last competitive game came on the final day of last season in the 3-0 win against St Mirren for Rangers. Now, there is no denying that Ross McCrory... I can speak again. Ross McCrory is a, <laughs> a quality keeper. Um, there's absolutely no denying that. But... To me, I am very, very surprised that Ross Laidlaw wasn't called up for this squad, especially with two keepers missing uh, out injured. Now, in no way, shape or form are we saying that Ross should be getting called up for Scotland and starting and jumping ahead of the two keepers yeah. you know, that have been in the squad. But in terms of a, you know, an achievement, you look at the form this season, uh, he's made the most saves in the league at mm-hmm. 50 at the time of recording. Um, he's played every minute in the league since the start of last season so he's barely missed a game he only missed the league cup matches recovering from his knee surgery that he needed to have in the summer Yeah, and then only two Scottish goalkeepers have made more clean sheets or picked up more clean sheets than Ross Laidlaw one of them is Xander Clark and the other one is David Marshall Yeah, now, based on those stats I think it's it's you can make a very compelling argument for why Ross would have deserved a call up 
or to just to be involved in the squads for, yeah. for these upcoming matches. Um, so it was quite surprising to see that instead of that, based on form, the the choices have been maybe not made on that, especially just with that third choice keeper. Yeah, well, ma- managers are live and die by their decisions at the end of the day. I think it's hard to criticise Steve Clark at the moment with the success that he's managed with the national team. I agree with that too. So I think it's obviously we're. I think for us, we've obviously got some loyalty to Ross, and understandably so. But as you said, the stats back it up as well. You know the performance he's producing, saves and that. And I always think if you're doing well at a team like Ross County, then you'll actually be better than a, a, a Scottish squad because you've got a better quality defender around you at the national team. I think for his own development, it'd be great to see Ross get a shout out. I certainly think he should be in that conversation. Um, I would hope. I look at Steve Clark, and I know he's picked boys from like championship sides, and that he's had boys from championship sides play. He's had lads from Motherwell and Kilmarnock in that play as well. So my hope and expectation is, if Ross keeps performing as he did in that game, especially against Rangers, and the spotlights on him that he would be in that conversation that Steve Clark would consider him. Um, part of me sometimes wonders if they do think it's just Ross County and it's maybe not that. But, you know, Clark has proved in the past that he will go and select from other areas and that. So that gives me hope that that will take place. For Ross's own development, I think it would be nice to get him in the squad there. I think he deserves it. I think his consistency, as you said, look at the number of games alone, do you know what I mean? And the, the most clean sheets uh, bar two other keepers who one is already in the Scotland squad and the other was a former Scotch keeper so if he's again the stats prove that he's in that that level and I you know he's Ross has probably won us a lot of points this season already do you know what I mean with some of the saves he's pulled off and that and stuff as well so all in all I, I feel a, a degree of sympathy for Ross but again as a player all you can do is concentrate in your own game and then if international honours come then it comes do you know what I mean Um for me, I'm a bit biased. I think it is opportunity missed by Clark on that one. You know, I mean, there's a, there's a, a good opportunity to get him in as the third choice, and and even just get him around the squad. So if in the future something like that, because you just don't know come the time in the competition if you're going to you know pick up a few injuries with keepers and that we've seen it before. Um, but looking at it, if if Gus Gann is back, and as you said as well that um, the, these boys are in about it, then it, it'll be hard to break into that sort of selection which has been consistent for Clark and has, has given him so much success but you never know at least Ross, all Ross can do is, is do what he's doing and then if you know if it draws the attention of the national manager and he gets international orders then great yeah no, that's a fair assessment on it so <laughs> we'll move on to uh, the the bigger game that's coming up obviously before the Scotland games is our trip down to McDermott Park to face St Johnston on Saturday now I think we've all seen the news that St. Johnston made a managerial change uh, over the last couple of weeks with Stephen McLean leaving the club and Craig Levine being appointed yeah. as manager and Andy Kirk joining him from Brecon City as well, where Levine was an advisor at, at the Highland League yeah. there with Kirk was the, the manager at the club. So Kirk's yeah. going as assistant manager and Levine is manager there. So... They had their first match last night and it finished in a 2-2 draw with Motherwell. St. Johnson were 2-0 up in the first, I think, 20 minutes, 25 minutes it was last night yeah. um, through a goal from Nicky Clark and then a goal from Andy Considine. But then Motherwell kind of had a famous second half comeback, not that we've experienced that over the last couple of weeks as well. Um, yeah. And they managed to take a point away from, from McDermott Park there. So 
it's always interesting when you come up against a team with a new manager, whether you believe in the new manager bounce or not. I think it also adds in it a little extra element as well that, you know, it's the same group of players that we obviously played against at the start of the season. But yeah, because Levine's only had one game in charge, you're you're never quite sure in the style of play that they're maybe going to try and implement. So, you know, that's potentially another factor to consider going into the game. Yeah, normally historically, well, wasn't it the old four six zero is the formation that the Levine used to like under the, the Scotland. Um, I, I've no axe to grind with Levine himself. Do you know what I mean as a manager, he's he has had some relative success, especially when he was at Dundee United that led him to the Scottish job. Um, and I, I do listen to him, and I do like his 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 candor in that on the Sacked in the Morning podcast. I do think he can be quite funny and, and self deprecating on that side of it. Um, I just. My understanding, a lot of this frustration at St Johnston, which ended up to McLean leaving, was that there was a maybe that some of the players didn't feel or felt he was being a bit heavy-handed in his approach, which I find surprising. Then, if they've gone for Levine, because he is known to be quite a disciplinarian in that side of it, um, so I just don't know if that will will work for them. For the length of time he's been in, I think what he'll definitely try and do is he'll try and focus on making them more defensively stronger. But again, he can only work with the players he's got there. And as you saw midweek, they let a two-goal lead slip. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's a strange one. Uh, I quite liked that. I don't know if you saw the Ray Bradshaw's uh, tweet as well when he was talking about, you I know, did, this, yeah, I did. Uh, when he was talking about, he'd asked Levine about you know, Messi playing against Dundee United in a pre-season friendly, and he said, oh, he never played against us, yet the Messi had actually played and scored a hatch against them. So he says, that's the sort of insight that he's going to be bringing to, to St Johnston. Um, no, it'll be it'll be an interesting game for us. Um, sometimes, yes, you can get this manager's bounce, but to be honest, if if the team's low of confidence in that, it's a lot harder than just a manager turning up. And again, I'd be questioning if all of a sudden players start putting a performance in, it's not really down to the manager; it's down to the players themselves. But they let a two-goal slip lead slip there midweek against another little team that's not, you know they're struggling a bit themselves you know what I mean and, and we saw against you know ourselves how we, you know Motherwell can come back into a game so I think it's going to be pretty much even I don't think it's going to be much much different to the probably the game up north the only thing is that um, the boy Clark's a pest for us he's always seemed to get a goal against us which is always a pain in the backside so for myself I'm going to go with a, a, a 2-1 win to county on this one um, and I think it'll be quite a close game. And I think both teams will be quite nervous just because they haven't got that win in a while or, you know, where they are in the, the league table. Though, in fairness, it's a wee bit false economy right now, the league table, just because it's so tight as well. I think it's unfortunate for Stephen McLean that his sacking coincided with the return of Nicky Clark as well. And yeah. you see with the return of a, a natural goal scorer into a team, you know, what a difference that can make. You know, he scored the two goals against Kilmarnock and their 2-1 win there. And then he yeah. scored last night as well. So that's three goals in the last two games. And Stephen McLean's probably sat there thinking he wished he had him a, f- a few weeks ago in some of the, the fixtures that they were up against. So I think it's... And even, be... even their win, sorry, Ross, was even their win against Kilmarnock, do you know I mean, they didn't springboard them from that. It was another manager that was in, but it didn't springboard. You know, they were well, they were 2-0 up, wasn't it, I think? And course, then... Yeah. And then Kilmarnock's got one back. I mean, Kilmarnock probably should have got something out of that game as well. So it shows there is a frailty there with St Johnston. And Levine's only in the door. He's not going to be able to change too much. I think he will try and focus on the defence. He's defended himself. And, you know, 
I have to say, a defender of real quality in that. He was really unlucky with injuries and that and stuff as well, which probably hampered his, his career a wee bit and that stuff towards the end. And obviously the, the quality of defender that he was up against at the time, but he was in and around the Scotland squad and was, was highly thought of. Um, so I think he will focus on defence, which I think will make it... I think he'll hope that maybe Clark will sneak something for them, but I just don't think they can hang their hat on that. And I think that's maybe what will favour County a wee bit of being able to get at them a wee bit as well. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be a very tense game. Um, but I also think um, that knowing Levine's style and that and stuff, I think it'll be uh, it'll be one of those uh, really tough battles as well. Yeah. Malky's got a decent record of going down to McDermott Park since he's been in the job. It's been the three games down there and he's unbeaten in those three. Obviously, the last uh, most recent match was the 2-0 win uh, against them back in April when Simon Murray and David Cancola scored the goals. So, you know, there's it's a, it's been a happy hunting ground in recent seasons. So you'd like yeah. to think that we can continue that. I think it'd be important to pick up three points going into the international break as well. You know, just as a a psychological boost for the boys just because of the, the tough run of fixtures that they've had in uh, a short period of time. You know, the, the three draws away from home, you're unbeaten in those three, which which was great. But I think, you know, they, they've spoken about themselves that they know that it could be more points, you know, yeah. in the, the games at, uh, at Fir Park. So, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting. I agree with that. I think it's going to be quite a nervy game. I'd like to think that, you know, since we've gone back to the, the back four, you know, we'll be able to create chances against this St. Johnson side. You know, it'll be interesting to see how we kind of fit in or make the changes because obviously with James Brown's red card and suspension, will it be Conor Randall that goes back to right back um, and then potentially someone replacing him in the middle of the park or will we see uh, Dylan Smith or uh, Will Nightingale perhaps uh, yeah. go into that kind of right-hand side of defence where we go back to back three or a back five because of that that change there it'll be it'll be interesting to see so yeah that kind of adds a bit of a unknown element to it as well so um you know if Connor does go to right back who who drops in there is it Scott High is it Victor Latouri is it a Kyle Turner as well if you're wanting to go extra attacking in that sense as well it's um yeah it'll be what I would say as well is um and it might not be a, a you know after seeing what he managed to do on Saturday with the 10 men is that if we are having to drop Conor Randall into the into the back into the fullback position? For me, Will Nightingale managed to bridge that gap, and he was actually pressing from the midfield forward. And what he managed to do is just fantastic at winning a lot of the headers and that in there. Yeah. So we we did it before um, a few years ago with Derek Adams. Now the name escapes me, the centre defender who was at Chelsea, and he played in the midfield for a while. He was um, his name will come back to me, but he played. Uh, in, in front of the, the defence even though he was a centre half so sometimes especially down there if it's going to get into a bit of a war if you're looking that to, to release some boys and, and play it and also if my, from my memory is correct wasn't it Danda nearly got snapped in that first game against St Johnston that's when he went off injured in that game yeah so I would not be surprised if Danda has a very strong influence in this game just to make a point especially to was it Gordon wasn't it the one that put the, was, the yeah. boots to him on that I would not be surprised if um, we might see a bit of the, the Danda magic come into play there and, and pull the strings on that, you know. So um I think there's uh, there's some opportunities there for with you know, obviously we'd love James Brown to be in. I think he's had a brilliant season so far, and I think he certainly adds to the squad and gives us that threat down the side. 
but if we're going to change it a bit, there's this is the opportunity to do it. And, and, and you know, I think for ourselves, be compact in the defence because we know if we can keep it tight, we've definitely got the ability to score goals. We've proved that, especially against the teams around us. You know, it's no coincidence we've put, you know, three against Motherwell, two against Hibs, and we've seen it at home against the other teams. And even Kilmarnock away, we've managed to, to, to get a goal there and sneak the game and win it, you know. So if we can keep it tight, we've got every opportunity to go and win the game. I'll go with a 2-0 county when you're going with a 2-1. I think we'll get back up the road, hopefully with a clean sheet as as we've uh, managed to do in tough away games mm-hmm. already this season. But yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see. So So that's our predictions there. So it feels like a good segue to jump into some of the press conference stuff that we picked up this week. So first of all, we'll hear from Conor Randall. So obviously the three back-to-back draws away from home was followed up by the 3 other defeat on Saturday. Despite playing 80 minutes with 10 men, you know, there's positives to take out of that as well. Yeah, definitely. I think obviously, you know, playing Celtic in any game with 11 men is tough as it is. Obviously, unfortunately, my dad's 10 men early on, which made it a tougher task, but... I think you've seen people, you know, with eleven men get beat, you know, more than, than we did basically on Saturday. So it was a t- it was a test of, you know, our character. I think we showed good character, we stuck in there. Um, obviously they scored the two goals later on in the game, so I think we defended well in, in the majority. Um obviously it would have been nice to you know the game plan we had going into the game to be able to, to do that the full game and have a go and try and, you know, get closer to them. But you know, them things happen in footy, so I think that you said there's a lot of positives to take from it. And do you think that ability to change after the red card to, you know, you spoke about the game plan there going into the game, to move on from that to then restrict Celtic as much as possible, condense the spaces, and obviously the, the three goals to them were from long range, so, you know, in terms of the group gelling and working for each other, there was evidence of that on Saturday. Yeah, definitely. You say it was difficult circumstances that happens in football. You've got to adapt, and I think you know we've done that well. I don't think you could no one could question all you know, the character that we showed. Um, like you said, we stuck together. We tried to make it as difficult for them as we can. Obviously, the top team, like I said, the VL and eleven, it's tough enough enough as it is. So I think we you know give a good account of ourselves. Obviously, you're always disappointed losing the game, but like you say, I think there's a lot of positives that we can can take from that situation. Yeah, and then I'm looking ahead to Saturday, it's three unbeaten uh, trips down to McDermott Park recently, with the most recent one being the 2 one in April. I guess it's you guys are wanting to continue that record and obviously get a win back on the board after a few games that one. Yeah, definitely. I think, like you say, obviously picking up points is massive and you know get, get another three points on Saturday, that would be great for us, obviously, like you say, you can move us up the table. Um, get closer to teams and get further away from other teams so obviously that's, that's the plan um, like you say we're expecting a tough test going down there it's a tough place to go obviously we look at you know good games we've had down there and good wins we've had and you can take stuff from that but obviously like you say it's a new manager now and things like that so just prepare ourselves the best we can to, to go down and get three points and do you think it's an important thing to get a win going into an international break as well just to allow the morale to kind of be boosted over those two weeks before going into another game yeah definitely I think obviously you, know, you don't want to lose any game and obviously you've got games back to back you have a quicker chance to react so like you say there's obviously a, a gap after after this game so to end it with three points and obviously then you're looking at the table in the break and it looks better for you so you've just got to approach it like you do every game and obviously it'd be nice like you say to, to get three points before the international break and now let's get Malky's thoughts on the match on Saturday and various other topics we're through the first round of fixtures apart from that so one that was postponed sure Thoughts on the kind of first part of that season? Yeah. Uh, that there's not a lot between a lot of teams. You know, we'll, we'll move Celtic and Rangers out of it. But, uh, and, you know, um, 
St Mirren have done really really well Steve Robinson's a good manager it doesn't surprise me to be honest with you um, we've not played them yet so we'll not speak about them but everyone else um, the other what eight teams I think there's very little between them um, and in one sense I'm, I'm happy about that because it means that we're in among that mix as well which I, I do firmly believe especially after the last week of away games um, and it's dangerous uh, you know it's someone putting a ball in the net at one end and, and someone making a, a mistake at the other end uh, in any one of those teams games it can be the difference between the three points um, as I say we're in, we've been in touch with, uh, and, and played against the the city clubs and uh, on the whole acquitted ourselves okay um, and we've got it once again this year punch above our weight because again we'll be seen as uh, ourselves and well, I'm not going to talk about our teams ourselves we'll be seen as one of the teams that are, uh, are relegation favourites again so like we do every year so as usual we've got to punch above our weight and, and be better than what we're supposed to be budget wise and what we're supposed to be uh, holistically in terms of the football club um, and that's that's fine uh, and so far um, I think we've, we've we've certainly we've certainly done that and despite the league position because of the fine margins across you know, the majority of the league just now is that then used as evidence to the players from you know the previous matches against wherever we yeah. up against you know there's the potential there that it could be three points rather than one very much you know, so had yeah. Maybe no, but you're, you're spot on, and it's not yeah, two in particular. I suppose that we're, we're you don't listen. You can say if that happened in a game, and if that happened again, but you know if we actually just go to, um, for example, the Mullow game, you know we defend that any one of that last five minutes properly, then then that's a, a that's a three points. It's another two points on it what we've got. And the other one that we looked at here was the Livingston game at home where we were, we were, we were really decent on the day and, and should have been out of, out of sight. Um, well, there's four points. I had four points in what we've got and we're, we're in a, you know, a relatively different conversation. Um, and that's the fine margins and that's the margin that we've got to keep improving and that's what in the next round of games we'll be hoping to try and improve on. But I have to say, I'm, uh, I've got a group here that I'm really really happy with this year um, and, uh, and and um, I enjoy working with them every day they're good people I've got a, a real good spirit between themselves and I've got talented players this year that I think um, can go and punch up overweight and that group had a really tough task on Saturday obviously with the 10 men for 8 minutes we're talking about the, you know, the togetherness of the group that was evidenced by you know, the effort they put in and mm-hmm. they sell it to you know, although it's a 3-0 defeat, two of the goals are from outside the area yeah. and very few chances. And as you said, post-match on another day, that could be a big scoreline. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, somebody said to me, is it a, is it a laugh when they say that? Is it a, is it a free hit against Old Firm? And it's so far from being a free hit when you're standing and you're in the shoes of the opposition manager in the technical area and you're watching it two feet from the side of the touchline against Champions League players. It's so far from being a free hit. I'll go back to it and, and uh, again as the ninth goal goes in at Tannadice uh, if you're not on your day and they are on their day and something happens and maybe tactics aren't quite right the shape's not quite right whatever happens or they're just on fire um, you can be badly damaged and, and as a football manager that affects that affects reputation that affects reputation of the football club affects everything 
um, you can actually have done fine against them, and it's six. And you, uh, you know, when you go to Parkhead and Ibrox, for example, and you look what happened there, we were we were we were fine up until 50 minutes to go, and those goals went. I remember, uh, you know, uh, talking to a manager one day, and, and um, uh, they were playing the Champions League, and, and they thought everything was fine, and then four goals went in in the last five minutes, and it was seven-one. And it's like, where did that, you know, days like that. So, to, and then you throw in the fact that you've not got as many men in the pitches, then that, that's the real, <laughs> the real one where you think, oh my God, here we go. So, sorry. Um, the fact that um, we, we, we stayed strong in our shape and there was discipline attached to what they did and people had to track you know, the, the, again, what the what the players did on Saturday in terms of their, their um, how long they tracked players and how far and the distances between them and not, not allowing Celtic spaces in the areas that we can really cause us problems makes a big big difference. And you're right, it was two terrific goals they scored before they, they obviously got the one at the end. Two terrific goals they scored, and it's not easy. Again, you look at last night how difficult it was. Again, with, with, in, a, in a very similar situation where. I tackle where you look at that and think, you know what, it's a bit like Saturday's one and I, uh, last night's one I didn't think was a was a sending off, but that's where we're at right now. The, the, the still shot that you can quite clearly see on the, the camera right through the VAR where they've given him a still shot. Clearly it looks on a still shot like a sending off, but you've got to play that at, um, at full speed and let it run through, which is, they didn't do actually, um, which is clearly pointing them towards what they think he should do. And then after that's a mountain climb, and that's where where we were at the weekend as well. So I had visions of a bit of shivered in my spine last night. And that game of the weekend, Ross Lindlaw obviously took a lot of headlines with his performance with his saves. The Scotland squad was announced today with a couple of goalkeepers mm-hmm. missing. Do you think Ross isn't far away from actually knocking on the door of Steve Clark's squad and actually potentially getting a call in the future if he continues the same bit of form? Yeah, I mean I'm. I'm uh, I've obviously worked at the, uh, the Scottish FA and um, I know Steve well so um, I also know what it's like when somebody uh, people come out and try and talk to you about who they think they should have in the squad and, and uh, their thoughts and what that should be as to what you put in the squad I've had that myself obviously uh, so I'm not going to uh, in any way shape or form tell Steve Clark who you pick he's, he's done a fabulous job and they're a, they're a great, great group that are, that are breaking records for Scotland right now uh, on Ross Laidlaw what I would say is um, if, uh, that what I've talked to him about in the last year is keep putting your stamp on the game keep putting your personality on the game and if you keep doing that you're Scottish um, you're 6 feet 5 um, you've played now hundreds of games in the Scottish Premier League and uh, I'm, in the last 18 months um, I've just seen you constantly improve and get better and better in your your shot stopping, you're coming for crosses. The way you're playing, you're a, you're an absolute proven Premier League Scottish goalkeeper. And you keep doing that, um, then what you're doing is you're giving options to someone, and that's what he needs to keep doing. Keep being an option, and the way he's playing um, over the last eighteen months, then he's he's certainly that. I'm looking ahead to Saturday, the trip down to Obviously, St Johnson made a managerial change. The same group of players, but does it add a little bit of? extra work when a new manager goes into the club and you're coming up against them you're not entirely sure what their system might be at that point you know obviously mm-hmm. each manager goes in 
it's an unstoppable squad. So does that kind of make it a bit trickier than going into that game? Yeah, I mean, obviously Alec Cleland had one of those two games. Um, Stephen's gone, as I've touched on, and I'm, I'm, as I say, I'm disappointed for Stephen um, because he's, he's all of a sudden he's got um, Chris Kane and Nicky Clark back. Um, but uh, Alex had had one game in now. Um, you know, I think Andy Kirk's doing a fair bit of work there so um, you know whatever he's maybe been doing at breaking might be coming into it as well but they played last night we had a look at them last night and um, it's the same group of players uh, we've obviously got to be very um, careful and cautious in terms of um, two experienced forwards three if you add Stevie May in as well three very experienced forwards um, in and around it you know well trodden path of the three how good the three of them can be on their day so and I've scored the two goals uh, early against Motherwell and Kilmarnock as well so um, we've no doubts that it's going to be a tough game for us ahead and um, we're, we're certainly taking it like that yeah very much so but you know at the same time I'm um, you know since it's, you know St Johnson were the were the first team uh, you know I played here in my first league game here three years ago and uh, you know Calum Davidson you know went on to, to do something really really special with that, that, those two cups that year and um, I know I know Jeff Brown and Steve Brown really well um, good guys that have um, have worked hard to make St Johnson to push punch excuse me to uh, make St Johnson a team that have punched above their weight regularly in Scottish football. Um, to the point where they're a regular Premier League seen as a regular um, Premiership team um, so and I'm always giving a good welcome down there good people and um, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting down there at the weekend Right and we are back and now we are going to be having a look ahead to another game going on this weekend it's not just the first team that are in action on Saturday in Perth at McDermott Park the under-18s have got the North of Scotland Cup final against Nairn County at Grant Street on Sunday. And that is a three o'clock kickoff. And yeah, it'll be a, a great occasion, a great opportunity for these young lads to play in a cup final against a good Nairn County side that dispatched our uh, friendly Highland neighbours, Cali Thistle, in the last round, uh, on thanks to a penalty shootout. But, you know, it shows that they've been able to, to beat, you know, strong opposition, full-time opposition before. So I'll be confident going into this game. I think it'll be interesting to see what lineup uh, County go with for this one because previously in the in the last few rounds, the game has always been in a midweek and it's been used as an opportunity for some of the fringe players to get some minutes. So I wonder if we'll be seeing the same on Sunday or because it's a cup final, will we be seeing a bit of a younger team? But that's just, well, we'll, we'll have to see as that comes. So Stephen, will you be heading down to it and what are your thoughts on the on the game? Yeah, no, no, myself and the, the wee man's going to head to the game that he's actually really excited about a, a cup final and that and stuff as well. And it does bring me back to the, the Highland League days and that and stuff. Um, Nairn, obviously, I've, I've, you know, I've worked previously in Nairn and, and got a wee bit of an affinity with the place and that. There are lovely people over in Nairn and, and, and knowing the, the team and, and some of the fans there as well and, and some of the players. Um, so they're obviously they're, they're taking it very seriously. It's a, it's a Highland League trophy for them to win. So it won't, won't be an easy game. It'll be a real test for the the under-18s and as I said I think it will be peppered one or two of the first teamers in there especially maybe some of the boys who don't get a run out on Saturday might get dropped into that game as well but again I think that'll just add to it I'll make it a, a really good spectacle so yeah looking forward to it um, 
because obviously I've not had the opportunity as much to, to watch the under-18s play, it's, um, uh, you know, for predicting-wise, I think it will just be like any cup final. I think it will go end-to-end, do you know what I mean? Um, but uh, hopefully our experience and, and the full time will probably tell in that last half hour and that as well. But I'm just looking forward to it. It's a, it's a great, we've got another game to, to look forward to, and especially with the fans that might not be able to get down to St Johnston on the Saturday, it'll get them their football fix at the, the weekend. Absolutely. I think the the under-18s did so well in that cup match against Kilmarnock at the Global Energy Stadium a few weeks ago, despite losing 4-1. You know, it was a it was a big night for them. It was a big occasion, you know, the first time that they've had the opportunity to play in front of a crowd like that on the first team pitch as well. And they, they coped with the, the occasion really, really well. So Sunday is another test for them in a cup final, an atmosphere which, you know, uh, which w- they won't be used to before because it'll be a big crowd there. And how do they cope with that during the, the pressurised moments in that? You know, I think it'll certainly help them if they have some of the fringe first-team players alongside them, you know, just to help kind of experience, you know, their kind of knowledge and, and know how, how to get through these kind of tough games and tough moments. But, you know, their coach, Carl Tremarco, is, you know, we all know Carl and he's had that experience as well in the Scottish Cup final. Um, and he knows how to play in these big occasions as well. So, look, I wish them... Absolutely all the best. We'll both be there on Sunday as well um, and we'll see what coverage we can get from that. So going into the game, uh, we also spoke to Carl Tremarco today at the club's weekly press conference. So here's his thoughts ahead of that game on Sunday. So Carl, big game on Sunday. How much are you guys looking forward to? Yeah, it'll be good. You know, any chance to win a trophy. I think as a kid, you want to win, you want to win trophies no matter what level it is. So, you know, hopefully... Hopefully we can get the results. And another test for the young lads as well. They obviously did very well here against Kilmarnock, but you know, in a cup final, you know, a neutral venue, decent crowd will be there as well. It's another test for them. It is, and I think when you know when we had a, another test against Kilmarnock, and, and I kind of thought he raised the game. I'm hoping he do so again. I'm hoping the occasion and the you know actually the atmosphere and the whole thing, the whole build up of a cup final doesn't really get them too scared. You know, I'm expecting them to be nervous. You know, every game they should be nervous. And it's how they use their nerves. Uh, and lean on the first team boys that we do have playing, to, you know, to get them through it and help them out. That's that's what I want to see. And you've had cup final experience yourself in the past during your playing career. That's something that you can use your experience to pass on to the players then ahead of Sunday. Hundred yeah. percent. Don't get sent off. <laughs> that's a nice and simple <laughs> bit of advice and, there. And then score the win in the last minute. Yeah. There we uh, go. No. Yeah. Listen. They. They. And I'm just speaking from experience, like you said, the, the great days. Yeah. Um, and. It's, it's like the emotions of the whole game. You, you can't let it. You can't let it eat you up. You just gotta play your normal game. And I'm focused on, on, on under 18s and what what they can do. And at the end of the day, no matter if it's a cup final, semi final, friendly, the manager of the football club is watching. And they're literally not. A, they're a kicking the backside away from being in his first team. We seen this with Jamie Williamson. Yeah. Came out of nowhere. He was in school on the Thursday. Gets on the pitch on the Sunday against Partick Thistle, one of the biggest club, games clubs ever had, and shows what he can do. There's boys the same age playing the same team as him, so there's no reason why they can't go and show the manager what they do on, 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 a, on a decent occasion as well. Yeah, and we've obviously seen in the North of Scotland Cup in the previous rounds there have been some first team players involved. Mm-hmm. Is that the same plan again for Sunday? Or Couldn't tell you. Depending. Couldn't tell Saturday? you. Yeah, pass. I've I've, I've been trying to organise um, my squad for the game, mm-hmm. and and that's all they know, and that's yeah. all I know, and um, we're going to focus on training, getting ready yeah. for it. To be honest, and then we'll see what comes Saturday night, Sunday morning, yeah. who we get. Uh, if you don't get no boys under 18s they'll give it a crack yeah. as best they can um, and yeah that's all we can do mate that's oh, all we, we saw that there against Kilmarnock as well so ahead of Sunday all the best and hopefully it goes well cheers thank you very much right and now moving on 
we have got the Hall of Fame segment to run through as per every other week. Everyone's favourite <laughs> way to end a podcast, I suppose, isn't it? Um, so yeah. last week we asked you, the listeners, for your votes for who you would like to see at left midfield. And it's safe to say one man has run away with over 50% of the votes. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Gardine has got his spot in at left midfield, which, you know, is a, I think it's a, a deserved place in their club record appearance holder, record goal scorer. You know, it's it's difficult to, to argue against that. So congratulations to Midge. For right midfield, we have got the, the, the three nominations that we mentioned on the podcast last week and the nominations that have come in during the, the question and answer segment on Spotify have all just been the same ones here too. So um, yeah, we're going to put the, the poll out there. So the three nominations will be Billy Ferris, Richard Britton and Josh Mullen. So if you head down to the, the poll down below, you'll be able to vote for your choice there at right midfield. Now, our next choice of position is central midfields so we have got two positions here to fill so we're going to run the the same way that we did it the previous time we had two positions to fill in one week which was center half so two midfielders top two choices will make it into the starting 11 Stephen, who are your two choices and why oh this is a, this is a really tough one because we've had some really good central midfielders over the years i can go back to the highland league days where we had the likes of Gordon Conley to start with. Do you know what I mean? Goggs was great, um, really technical player, scored some fantastic goals for us and, and had a, a, a really good knack of um, appearing in the box and that and, and sweeping one in and that and stuff as well. So I can understand, I wouldn't be surprised at people, um, the affinity that people have for, for Gordon Conley at counting the time he spent in the club, that he'll be one that people will consider. Even thinking to the time under Neil Cooper, he had some brilliant midfielders. Frank Escalon, unfortunately, who's someone that picked up a lot of injuries, but was just probably two or three moves ahead of everyone else. You know what I mean? We must have come up from Berwick Rangers, it was at the time. And he was, it was such a good player, but it was just a, a wee bit injury prone. We had John McGlashan in there, which made a physical presence. You know, obviously, our own chief executive, uh, Fergie. But unfortunately, Fergie, he probably was between midfield and, and forward at times under... Um, uh, Neil Cooper in that um, but again Fergie was a tremendous player and another one definitely would deserve some mention the centre midfield was Kenny Gilbert so he's a, a player that managed to play a, nearly a whole season with an eye, one eye so and shot you know what I mean that's that is some going to play at that level and that and stuff um, and probably one other mention I'll give as well to the sort of later years and obviously we know about Dando right now and that and stuff as well um, but um one of the other midfielders I would consider would be Paul Lawson, who I think, you know, was so, he did so much great work in front of the defence, but also had a fantastic shot in him. And obviously knowing Paul as well, not one of the nicest guys you would meet as well. Do you know what I mean? Um, and um, yeah, just someone I, I know who really tried his best as far as, you know, his fitness and that. I was always doing his extras in the gym and that and stuff as well. Um, and I think he really squeezed as much as he could out of his career and that obviously he was, you know, a club like Celtic and that, I think he was the, the captain of the reserve team at the time and that as That's well. Yep. Um, you know, and he, a real quality player and that and stuff as well. And uh, for, for my choice, I was swithering with Paul, but the, the, the two I've gone for, one would be my sort of probably playing in Paul's role, the defensive midfield, and that would be Robbie Williamson. Um, so Robbie definitely just because all the stuff he won at the Highland League but probably the hardest guy I've, 
I've ever seen play for County. He was absolutely tremendous. And, and we're talking about someone who would get the you know that that special goal every so often. He scored against East Fife in the Scottish Cup. We went one 0 up in the game uh, in Dingwall, which was played on a Sunday, which was totally unheard of back at that time. Um, uh, unfortunately, we didn't win that game. But then we had the next season we had Alloa and Dingwall, and he scored in that game with a header as well. Um, and the pitch was a bit snowbound and the game was nearly called off and that. But Robbie was great at scoring these, these sort of runs into the box, but just an absolute athlete, could protect your defence, get up and down the park, wholehearted, strong as an ox. And, and just, you know, if you're wanting to hang your hat on someone on the team, Robbie would be your choice in midfield if you wanted that enforcer or someone to speed the game up or slow it down. And there was no coincidence that soonest took him to Rangers. Do you know what I mean? That was... At the time when Rangers were winning, you know that you know that was the, the the quality player he was. And then the other person for me is I know obviously the votes are going on, so this might have to change slightly. But for me, I would be going with Richie Britton as the other central midfielder because Richie normally what used to happen was with the Derek's team and that when it was the four one four one formation, Richie would play maybe slightly inside and the right when you had Sproul on the outside of him. So uh, for me, I would say Richie Britton just because again as the captain and what he achieved at the club and that and stuff as well but his ability to score goals as well from the midfield do you know what I mean um, and he could create as well so um, prime Richie Britton prime Robbie Williamson I think he would struggle to get a two better in the midfield from from the years gone by at County oh, well I'll give it a go so <laughs> um, my two choices one of them was an honourable mention for yourself is Paul Lawson Paul you you summed it up there yourself. The the work he used to do in front of the back for his passing range, his technical ability was fantastic. The the goals that he scored as well. I mean, you only have to look back to that goal he scored against Cali. I mean, how many times has a folk watched that over and over again? You know, when yeah. you sat you sat in the away end, you know, watching that ball swerve into the top corner. I mean, he couldn't have placed it any better there himself. So And he had a knock of doing that a screamer from deep. He's done it against yep. Queen's Park in one of the games when they won three two in Dingwall in the yep. Division One season. He scored against Dundee and off the bar and that as well. So yeah. Paul had a real knack, do you know what I mean, at the time of picking up these goals from deep. Yeah, definitely. That one in Dundee is a, a personal favourite of mine because when you're, again, when you're in the away end, at the other end of the park, you're, the, the ball's bounced over the line but then bounced back out and the linesman's given yeah. it but no one knows for those five <laughs> seconds like, what's happening here? Is, is it a goal? Is it not? And then, they see everyone sees the players celebrating in the park, and then just mm. some randomer shouts, "It's a goal!" And then it's just it's everyone celebrating in the away end at that point. So, you know, that's one of my that's one of my favourite memories of of Paul as a player as well. But alongside him, um, uh, to me, uh, he had to be in this team, and you know the success that he had during the two seasons he was here at the club, that first season on loan, and then the the second season when he joined permanently was you know. Uh, for a box to box midfielder, I don't think they get any better than Jackson Irvin. You know, you No, I can't I can't disagree with you either as well with Jackson. Uh, I think, you know, he's definitely in that conversation uh, when we're talking about, you know, if you're gonna pick your two best ever, you know, for the Hall of Fame Ross County midfielders, you know, again, you know, where we finished in the league with Jackson, where, you know, we've picked up a national trophy. But as you said, um and I always felt he had to do a lot of extra work, obviously having Martin Woods in there. Martin Woods was seen as this sort of creative player which you know, some fans will debate, but I've always felt Jackson as well as that. I felt sometimes he probably had to modify his game because of of Martin's position, the way it was played. But I felt sometimes as well, when Murdoch was in there with him at the time, 
he was allowed to be a bit more free and go forward. And as you said, he, you know, again, another lad that was a real goal threat, a bit like Richie Britton and that could, you know, get into the box and score goals as well, Jackson. Yeah, definitely. He played a big part in that League Cup win as well. Scored the opening goal in the quarterfinal at Cali Park in the 2-1 win there. But then, you know, in the final, the performance he put in there was just phenomenal. He was man of the match that day. He was voted man of the match. And yeah. He has spoken on open goal as well previously about the, the job he was given for that match. And yeah. you know, going up against John McGinn and you look at the player John McGinn is nowadays, you know, yeah. and, and how, how loved he is by Scotland fans and he's playing in the English Premier League and you know, for Jackson to be given that task at that at that time, you know, and, yeah. and performed so well. Got the assist for the the opener as well when he slipped in uh, midge through one on one and got the the break of the ball from the the tackle and scored. But you know, um, just just different class. And you look at the, the career he's gone on to have as well. Yeah, you know, he made made the move down to England, played for Burton and Hull City down there. Briefly came back up to Scotland as well to to play for Hibs, but. You know, it's the international stage where he's kind of really shined for Australia. I mean, yeah, you know, the the World Cup there. You know, he's going up against like the best in the world and you know Messi and things like that, and and holding his own against these kind of teams, yeah. which is just absolutely phenomenal to see. So, like, I am, I think every Ross County fan absolutely loves Jackson Irvine. I don't yeah. think anyone will be able to say a bad word against him or anything of the sort. So, for me, I think a a, a midfield two of Paul Lawson and Jackson Irvine. Come on, it doesn't get much better than that, does it? So, no, I can, I can, I can see your point, like Joanne. Um, again, for me, just my my era, and that uh, as I said, peak Robbie Williamson was just for me as as good a midfielder as I've seen, winning the ball, playing, and he could play football, Robbie as well. That was the thing. Um, but just tough as teak, and then obviously, if you've got Richie Britton in front of him, pulling the strings and, and creating stuff, um, then for me, it's. Whew, You've got a really, really strong midfield, but any of those four, a combination of any of those four, would be would be up there with it, Ross, for sure. Yeah, definitely. So there are four nominations there. Obviously, Richie's one will depend if he actually gets into right midfield yeah. or not. But you know, we'll deal with that at the time of the voting's finished. So we'll ask you, the listeners, for your nominations. Please let us know, and then next week we'll put all these nominations to a vote as well, and we'll see who's taking up the two central midfield spots. So I wanted to end the podcast on a bit of a different question and I wanted to test your knowledge here to see how uh, how well you know this topic. I don't know if it's ever been achieved before, but we were talking about today at the, the, the weekly press conference myself and our guest from last week, Mr. Andrew Henderson. Yeah. So it depends what way you view these cups, but right. you know these players have won three trophies in a single season at Ross County. Can you name them and they are two players from the same season okay so we're talking about they've obviously got a promotion or so they must have won a, a league so the only one it must be someone from one of the promoted sides then if that's the case um and then obviously you've got challenge cap and you would then have the scottish league cap as well i'm thinking of that one would that be maybe something on that i'm trying to think of the the team itself so i'm trying to think who is so i imagine then marcus fraser would have been one of them no did he not win the challenge cap the league cap the county and the league he did but in one season all right okay i see what you're saying then yeah in one season, so oh right, okay. Now you're asking then, so oh, well, there's only t- you know, hmm, 
this is getting a wee bit tricky then. Like, this is very tricky. Question. I know. I was surprised <laughs> that earlier today too. This is a good question. Uh, I'll have to have a wee think about this one, Ross. Um, uh, I'm trying to think then. So we won the league. Challenge Cup. It must be the Challenge Cup then. It's one of them. That's one of them. The league. So I'm trying to think. Oh, In the same season. Well, there's only three trophies in the one season. Three trophies. Three trophies in the one season. There's the league. Challenge Cup. What other one was there then? <laughs> this has stumped me. I'm fairness, Ross. You've got me on this one, like, do you mean? So, with that question, I thought it was a good point to end the podcast and set up a bit of a teaser for next week. So, myself and Stephen will discuss the answers next week, but now it's crossed to you, the listeners, to see if you can answer that question, to see if you can name the two players that have won a domestic treble during their time at Ross County. Now, these could be any three trophies during the one season. So, it's a promotion and a couple of domestic cups. So that's the hint we'll give you. And they're from the same season. So let us know in the comments down below who you think they are. And yeah, we'll give you the, the answers next week. Mm-hmm.